0: we're in Joshua chapter 19, and Joshua chapter 19 basically picks up right where chapter 18 left off. And in chapter 18, if you remember, Israel now, they've subdued the land. Nobody's fighting with them anymore, and the land is pretty much theirs to take. It's ready to go, but we still have about seven tribes, I believe, that still haven't taken their land yet. And so since the land was subdued and everybody's scared to mess with them, Joshua tells them, all right, it's time to figure out your borders. We're going to figure out what belongs to who. So you all can begin the process of just moving in, taking over and uh, receiving your inheritance. So in chapter uh, 18, we saw them begin doing that. And then it just kind of most of the chapter is explaining the borders that they had and what tribe got what. And then we're doing the same thing here in chapter 19. Uh it's pretty much the same thing. all this doing is telling us what tribe got what section, and then there's an explanation of the borders that frankly, goes over most of our head because we're not familiar with the terrain over there in Israel. But I want to draw your attention to verse forty nine at the end of this chapter because every one of these things, uh, whenever they would receive this, you know this was referred to as their inheritance. This was something that they received. And this was also an inheritance that God had promised them over 400 years before. So this was a major fulfillment of prophecy. And think about this too. These men now are basically have subdued a nation. They've taken possession of a nation. And just one generation before, just a little over 40 years before, they were in bondage in Egypt. So to go from being in bondage in Egypt to now possessing a wonderful nation, a land flowing with milk and honey, that's a pretty big deal. And especially considering the fact, too, that 40 of those years, they did nothing but wander in the wilderness and just survive. So really, in just a few years, in less than 10 years, they've gone from just being wanderers through a strange land to now possessing this great land so they can now start following God's law, have fellowship with him, and uh, just enjoy this inheritance that God gave with promises that if they would keep the law, they wouldn't be sick. If they would keep the law, if they would do the things God said, there wouldn't be any barren people among them. That they would have good harvests, that uh you know God was going to greatly bless them. They had promises of major physical blessings. I mean they didn't have they wouldn't have to worry about pestilence. If that if, if you know, if our country kept the law, we wouldn't even have to worry about COVID. But you know what? No country keeps the law, does it? No country ever has. And uh, so Israel, we know their, their history. They messed up a lot. But I want you to notice what it says in verse 49. It says, When they had made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun. Among them, according to the word of the Lord, they gave him that city which he asked, even Timnath, Sarah, in Mount Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt therein. These are the inheritances which Elias of the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by law in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. Now what I want to preach about tonight is the inheritance of the saints. The inheritance of the saints because that's something that's, uh, that's referred to quite a bit in the New Testament. That As saints... There is an inheritance that we have. But what is that exactly? And it's very important that we understand this because when we, when we start looking into these things, it helps us understand some things in the Old Testament and it backs up everything that we believe uh, when it comes to replacement theology and things. And so this is uh, stuff we're going to look at most people have to ignore. We're going to ask questions that most people can't ask because if you get the answers, it'll wreck some really popular theology. So uh, first off, um one thing we need to do point out is god did in fact promise land to israel for an inheritance okay and and people do people still like to talk about the land today and they make a claim based on scriptures like this that that land over there it belongs to the children of israel and not the muslims and they'll side against the palestinians and it's funny—the same people who get super offended by the Palestinian flag have Israeli flags hanging up in their churches. And it's based on bad interpretations of these passages. Uh, you know, they're claiming it belongs to an ethnic group. And so, I'm not going to go to the typical places today that we generally would to deal with this topic because you know those passages frontward and back. We're going to go to some different places uh, that we typically wouldn't go because uh, I want to look at it from another angle. It's just not talked about. But when you talk about this, when you look at it, it just provides more definite proof that we're right on this subject. And so the inheritance of the saints, because this is important, because often too many will acknowledge the spiritual inheritance that we have coming to us as Gentile Christians, as a part of the Gentile church, and they'll say those things like that. You know, They recognize the fact that, okay, spiritually we're the seed of Abraham. I get that. Yes, we have spiritual promises, but you gotta understand, you know, there is a physical promise that goes to the Jews of a physical land, is what they'll do. So a lot of times they'll give us that. Alright, I acknowledge the spiritual things, but the physical things they still apply to the Jews and, and to Israel. That's the claim that they'll make. But just a little bit of study uh on this subject is gonna prove something completely different on that. So we're going to look at, because um, it, it actually creates a lot of problems with some very clear verses in the New Testament that are specifically dealing with the Jews. This is also an important thing to understand. So, we're going to look at several references to the inheritance of the saints, and then we need to ask ourselves is this inheritance of the saints something that we should be distinguished from the inheritance of the Jews? concerning things like the land okay that's a question i want to ask because in the new testament we're going to see a bunch of references to an inheritance that we have coming to us as christians all right and any anybody i don't care how dispensational you are i don't care how much ruckman kool-aid you've drank no matter how much if when you look at the new testament and you read about those inheritances everyone would agree it's ours it belongs to us but what they will try to do is they will if you rightly divide if you rightly divide and if you don't rightly divide, you're going to be in a mess. You're going, to be in a total, you're going to be in a mess. If you rightly divide, you'll see the difference between the inheritance that we have coming as Christians. And you know what? I don't know about you. I'm interested in the inheritance I have coming. I don't know about you all, but, you know, I think that's something we ought to be thinking about. And it's something we don't talk about a lot. And I'm starting to think the reason they don't talk about it that much in the IFB is because if we start studying inheritances too much. You know, it might mess up our political position we've taken when it comes to the physical land of Israel. So, uh, we're going to talk about that tonight. So, first off, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. and Because uh, understand, when they received this land here, this was fulfilling a promise that God gave to Abraham. Everyone would agree with that. Okay? Everyone on all sides would agree with that. But in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place, which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in a strange, uh, sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there, even of one as him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So here's the question. This inheritance that God promised to Abraham Did he ever receive that inheritance? No, he didn't. But here's the question. Will he ever receive it? Yes, he is. Yes, he will. In the resurrection, won't he? He's going to receive that inheritance. But the Bible tells us that when Abraham was looking for that city, he was looking for a city whose builder and whose foundations were of of God. And it was something that we see uh, was a spiritual inheritance. uh, And the book of Hebrews talks about that. We're not going to look at all the references to that. But we understand that, you know, what we're not looking for a physical country. We've got a new and a better country that is a heavenly country. And in and the, and the book of Hebrews, it specifically tells us that's what these people from the Old Testament were looking for. They were looking for that heavenly country. So in he, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, so what exactly is this inheritance? Well, Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, and, and who do we think Hebrews is written to? Okay, it's it's obviously written to Hebrews. Okay, again, showing them how following after Christ is being obedient to the Old Testament. Proving from the Old Testament that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, that he was qualified to be a high priest because he's after the order of Melchizedek, all those things. It's all explained in Hebrews, dealing with things that, you know what, Paul never dealt with most of these things when he's writing to the Gentiles. You know why? Because they wouldn't think about that. But the Jews would have thought about that. They definitely would have thought about it. And it says in Hebrews 1.1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he by, hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Who's the they there? Jesus obtained a more excellent name than they, the people of the past, the other Jews. Notice that it was Jesus Christ, whom God appointed to be heir of all things except for the land, right? You know, except for the things that God promised to the Jews, right? No, the Bible tells us Jesus was made heir of all things. The, and, and understand too, legally that fulfills all the promises that God made to the Jews because of the fact that Jesus Christ what, took on him the seed of Abraham. And so since he possesses all those things, since he has inherited all those things, all of the things that God promised to those people uh, will be fulfilled and, and are fulfilled so understand the bible is very clear that when it comes to the inheritance that jesus christ is the heir of all things hebrews two sixteen says for verily he took not on him the nature of angels but he took on him the seed of abraham wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now, why does he need to make reconciliation for the sins of the people? You know why? Because they can't receive the inheritance if they've broken the law. So in order for anyone to receive that inheritance, who's a lawbreaker, they've got to get remission of sins. Well, guess where the only place is in the universe where you can find remission of sins? It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thus proving again Nobody has any claim on any inheritance who denies Jesus Christ, who is not saved. That makes, that makes absolutely no sense at all. That just absolutely defies everything that the Bible teaches on this subject. And so here's the question we have to ask. Is Abraham's inheritance the same as our inheritance? You know, these, these are questions you need to ask people when they're trying to make a claim that certain things belong to the Jews. But Hebrews 9.15 says, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So right here, we're seeing that this inheritance—it's an eternal inheritance, okay? This and this inheritance is one that was—that's an eternal inheritance—is one that was able to come because the, of the death of the testator of the first covenant, because of the death of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, that would still be in effect. And so that testament—it's always going to be in effect as long as the testator is alive. Since Jesus died that got rid of that old covenant and then now he's given us the new covenant and that one will be good as long as he's alive and you know what he's not going to lay down his life again you know the question's been asked how can you kill god well you can't unless he lays his life down and jesus laid his life down and so that's uh you know that's how he was able to do that so Uh, Galatians 3, and we all know Galatians 3, it makes it very clear that God, that the promises to Israel are in fact our promises as believers in Christ, specifically to what God promised Abraham. Because here's what I can't find. I can't find any way to distinguish between the inheritance that God promised Abraham that's referred to in Galatians, that's referred to in the book of Hebrews, and then one that an ethnic group is supposed to have. I can't find any distinction anywhere. It looks like the same promises all... It's all the same promise. But Galatians 3.16 says, "Not to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he saith not in seeds as of many, but as a one and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect for if the inheritance be of the law. It is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So notice there he's saying if the inheritance be of the law. See that word it being referred to again. And what is it that people want to do? They want to connect the inheritance to the Jews because of their bloodline, which is by the law. That doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. And so the question is asked, "Well, wherefore then serve the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. So the seed that it was promised to was not every descendant, but it was a seed, which was Jesus Christ. So understand that the promise that God gave to Abraham, the inheritance that God promised to Abraham and to his seed, Jesus Christ received it. And that's why the book of Hebrews says that, you know, he received it and he uh, he is heir of all things. Everything that was that God promised to Abraham and his seed was to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ inherited it. He obtained it. It's all his. So if the promise to Abraham belongs to Jesus and we are joint heirs with Jesus, then wouldn't that make those things ours? I mean, folks, the Bible is very clear. Even in passages that are written to the Jews that Jesus became the heir of all things. They belong to him, and the Bible is very clear that we are joint heirs. Turn over to Romans chapter eight and verse 12. It says, "Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So, folks, again, what is this inheritance? We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He has possessed all things. All things belong to Him. If we are in Christ, we are a joint heir. Therefore, all things that belong to Christ also belong to us. So here's my question. What is this other inheritance? You know, what, how how do you distinguish from the inheritance that God gave to Abraham that the New Testament spells out to us, Jesus Christ obtained? All right. somebody needs to show me how you distinguish between that and a land, some land deal. Okay, and trust me, I, I know where people are going to go with this, and we've got that more than covered. Okay, we've got that more than covered in case you're thinking of any uh, any possibilities. But I, and, and the thing is too, if somebody's listening to this too online, I know you all got your head screwed on straight here. I want you to think about all the things that you're thinking right now that distinguish. The land inheritance from the Jews and our inheritance that we have as Christians. I want you to write those things down because by, the, because by the end of this message, you know you're going to understand. I'm going to answer every bit of that, and the fact that you wrote those things down will prove your ignorance on this subject. Okay? Now nobody else is going to probably admit that they do this, but I, I wish people would do that right now. They write down those things that they think. Distinguish the differences between our inheritance and the inheritance of the Jews. That's what I, I would like for them to do. And uh, if, if you do that online, prepare to be enlightened. All right? But anyway, because the burden of proof is on them to put a distinction between the inheritance of the Jews and our inheritance as joint heirs with Jesus Christ who took on him the seed of Abraham. They, they, whoever wrote Hebrews said, God made him heir of all things. Except the land, apparently. But, so here we go. So the only thing that they can attempt to do in their ignorance and assuming, you know, what a preacher can do, assuming his audience is ignorant, is they will show you differences between things in the Old Testament and the New Testament, ignoring the fact that the Old Covenant is done away with and it has been replaced by the New and Better Covenant. That's what they'll, that's what they have to do, okay? Okay. So, in reality, if they are right about the land still belonging to the Jews, then there should be something in the New Testament that would separate an inheritance for the children of flesh, who Paul said are not the children of God. They that are the flesh are not the children of God. And there there should be something between their inheritance and our inheritance as children of God and our inheritance uh, as those who are of Isaac, as those of us who are the children of the promise. Somebody's got to show me the difference somewhere in the New Testament between an inheritance to the children of the flesh versus the the children of the promise. Now, I can tell you there is something special coming for the children of the flesh, and it's called the wrath of God. But we're not going to get into that. But... I want you to turn over to Peter. All right, we're look at some. I've been doing some a lot of study in First and Second Peter, and those are probably going to be the next books that I preach through. Because you know, as you kind of, you know, you start studying some of these things, and you you get to looking at more and more areas of the Bible, it all, it brings enlightenment to other parts of the Bible too. And just some really interesting things I'm seeing in here. I'm going to kind of just give you a little bit of it in this. And I and pray I don't chase rabbits because. There's a lot of rabbits I can go down right now, but I needed—I literally needed to devote whole sermons to these rabbits, and I'm going to try to do it while preaching through First Peter. But I've been looking into this a lot this week, and so I, I got to try really hard not to talk about some of these things. But uh, notice, so in verse First uh, Peter, uh, before we go into these passages, I one thing that I have kind of changed my mind on is I always felt like First uh, and Second Peter was written specifically to Gentile believers. Um, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced now that is not the case. That it's actually written to Jewish believers. Um, and I think, and, and when you realize that he's writing to Jewish believers, it helps a lot with difficult passages, just like in the book of Hebrews. When you, when you realize who the audience is and what is going on during that time, it makes some of the more difficult verses you know super easy to understand and it's the same thing too with first and second peter it's like when all of a sudden you realize wait a minute he's talking to a very specific group a very specific time now all of a sudden i get what he's saying right here on some of these other spots and so um but let me show you just a few reasons why i believe he's writing to jewish believers so first off um in in verse one it says peter an apostle of jesus christ To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. All right. Now, first thing, why would they be called strangers if they're in all those places? Well, we do know that the Jews, the 12 tribes were scattered all over the earth during that time. And so if he's just writing to people in those areas, well, then they wouldn't be strangers. That would be the actual inhabitants. So unless he found another ethnic group that happened to all be in that area, you know, or all those different areas, I, have to, I think you have to assume he's writing specifically to Jewish believers that are scattered in all these different places. He says in verse 2, elect according to the uh, foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't have time to talk about the ready to be revealed in the last time, but this makes sense that he's talking to Jewish believers here because first off, you know, he's given all glory and everything to Jesus Christ And then he brings up an inheritance, one that is incorruptible, one that is undefiled, one that doesn't fade away, something that is in heaven. And so this would really matter to to Jews who had been looking for an inheritance, who had been talking about inheritance and who thought they had an inheritance, but they kept losing it throughout their history when the Babylonians would take over. And even during this time, even though they were physically in the land, the Romans had control. You know, the Romans had them subdued during that time, kind of like they had the Canaanites subdued during the time we're reading about in Joshua. So, the fact that all they are strangers in all these cities mentioned, that's very strong evidence that they're Jews. But you know what? James too. when James wrote in James 1.1, 1, 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting. So, notice how James specifically wrote to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. It's very. He's a little more specific than Peter was. He referred to them as strangers, which is what they would be if they're dwelling in these other countries. They would be strangers. And so here's another thing too. Peter, so Peter, James, and John. So when you're going through the Bibles, you have Hebrews, clearly written to the Jews. You have James, written to the twelve tribes, and then you have uh, First, and, Second Peter, and then you have First, Second, and Third John. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, Peter, James, and John—they were all specifically commissioned to go to the Jews, and we see that we see that recorded together. And in fact, in Galatians 2:8, it says, "For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles." And when James, Cephas, and John. Who seem to be pillars, perceive the grace that was given me unto I me. Mean, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So notice how Paul mentions all three of those guys together as specifically going to the circumcision. So it just kind of makes sense how, you know, they put all the Pauline epistles together. You have the church epistles together. You have the pastoral epistles together. And then it's like you've got the epistles that are written specifically to Jewish believers. All put together at the same time now you also have jude that, that comes there before revelation and you know i tend to think he's probably writing to the same kind of audience scenes that jude chapter one is almost identical to what peter wrote and i think second peter is it second peter chapter two where they basically cover the exact same stuff it's like they stole each other's sermons and there so I say all that to just point out the fact that, um, you know, it make this inheritance, this incorruptible inheritance. He's saying this to Jews, that you know, th- because this inheritance is better than the one they had before. This is one that's forever. This is one that's reserved in heaven, like the one that Abraham was looking for, that the Book of Hebrews refers to. And look what it says in Second Peter chapter three. Well, no, God made this eternal promise about the land for. For an ethnic group, but wait a minute—is the land even forever? How, how can how can land on this earth really be eternal if it's all going to be destroyed? Second Peter chapter three verse nine says, "The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, word not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. "...the earth also, and all the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." So when writing to these Jewish believers, like, hey, we're looking for something else. We're not looking for something on this earth anymore, which would have been really relevant to these people who had for their entire history been kind of many of them in their minds while those of faith had it right. They were looking for something here on this earth and Peter's showing them, we're looking for something that's in heaven. And not only are these things going to melt with the fervent heat, not only is the earth going to be all burned up You say, well, I, I, I still think it's all going to be burned up, but that spot, is going to go, well, you, it's all going to be different anyway. So you're, you're thinking now that God just promised him like a longitude and latitude you know, section. You know, that, that doesn't even make any sense at all. But here's the thing about that too, and I don't have time to get into this, but this is something that just, I don't know how I never noticed this before, but when it talks about the elements melting with a fervent heat, it, look up the word elements and rudiments. And you'll see they basically mean the same thing and always, those things are always brought up when referring to the things of Israel, when it comes to uh, their, when it comes to their customs, when it comes to their, their things they have, the, their traditions, those things, those things that they valued and held dear, those things are done, folks. Those things are gone. Those things are destroyed. Okay? And so again, what they end up doing, the, the way they are teaching that the land belongs to them puts it right in the category of elements and rudiments that are to be destroyed and and have been destroyed. And I I do believe that there literally is is coming a baptism of the earth by fire. I believe that literally is going to take place. But you know what? I do believe that what we're seeing Peter talk about here uh, was also prophetic and symbolic of what happened in 70 ad when the temple was burnt where it was burnt down melted down and went down to nothing I, I believe that was a picture i believe that that was god showing that he was done with those things i believe that was a picture of what had already taken place spiritually where those things had been done away with and that and they were they were they were melted with the fervent heat literally you know you could say elements but I believe uh, there, there's more to it, and I, I wish I had more time to go into that. I might preach a sermon on that sometime in the near future. I might do it when I go through First and Second Peter. But uh, this is clearly something that Peter is writing to Jews that would have been re- very relevant. So Peter, he's preached to the Jews about an eternal inheritance, just like the Apostle Paul did. It says in Acts 26:15, "And I said, Who art thou, Lord?" And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, the Gentiles, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So, folks, Paul or God is literally commissioning Paul right now to go to the Gentiles. So, the ministry of the Gentiles, it hasn't, it hasn't really started yet. Okay? It's, it's just in its beginnings. We saw that story uh, during that time when Paul's on the road to Damascus you know, where Peter ended up... Uh, we ended up seeing Cornelius get saved. But this is just starting. So whenever God is referring to those that receiving an inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me, He's referring to Jewish believers right there. Because that was pretty much almost everybody that was saved during that time. You know, there were some exceptions. But it was mainly Jewish believers who understood who had faith in christ and they were going to receive an inheritance by by him and then god is telling paul i want you to go tell gentiles the same thing so they can receive an inheritance among them so you know what it sounds like it sounds like that's where paul got the idea of god breaking down the middle wall partition that separated us making us heirs together where we are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel, so the, what, the, uh, what God sent the Apostle Paul to tell the Gentiles about was the exact same thing that they were telling the Jews about. It's the same message, folks. We only there's only one gospel, one message. It's the same for Jews and Gentiles a- a- every time. The way you uh, the way you address it might be a little different. Okay, it's the same thing too. If we are giving the gospel to a Catholic, we'll probably give it a little bit different if we give it to a Muslim, won't we? But it's still the same gospel, isn't it? Just because we focus on different aspects of the gospel doesn't make it a new gospel. Okay, that's, you know, that kind of thinking is severe retardation. If you think just because you're focusing on a different aspect that it makes it a different gospel, that's not the case. And so what we have coming is the exact same thing that the Jews got, who were of faith. So this inheritance has absolutely no indication that it is in any way some new separate thing that God has for the Gentiles. The thing that God sent Paul to the Gentiles to do. He didn't go send Paul so he could go get him a Gentile bride. He sent Paul to go to the Gentiles so they could be a part of the bride. So they could be a part of that Inheritance among those who are of Israel who had also received the gospel. Except now, again, there's a lot more Gentiles that make up that bride than Jews, but that's just because Ephraim outdid Manasseh. And now we, we've talked about that, and how that was prophesied. So it is clear God commissioned Paul to go to the Gentiles about the exact same inheritance that they've been talking about to the Jews. So in Ephesians, so we see Paul, he makes reference to this inheritance many times when preaching to Gentile believers. And I think it's safe to assume it's the same inheritance that God told him to go tell people about on the road to Damascus. All right? am, am, am I stretching anything here, folks? I, I mean, I, I, hope, uh, I hope I'm giving you plenty of evidence. I'm not trying to blend two things together that don't go together. I think this inheritance is all the same. And Ephesians 1.10 says, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Doesn't sound like there's an inheritance on earth that's separate from the one that's in heaven. It looks like what God wants to accomplish when it comes to an inheritance is all through Jesus Christ. And again, if Jesus Christ is the heir of all things and we are joint heirs with Christ, then how in the world can you separate anything, any inheritance from us? Okay. There is no way to separate an inheritance that supposedly the Jews have from us. You can't do it. It can't be done. It says in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Okay. And you know what? The Calvinists like that word predestinated. They... Like to misapply it, misuse it, but you know what he's doing here? He's showing this was always God's plan that it be one people. It was always God's plan that the inheritance come through Jesus Christ. This is what God predestined. This is not a new a new way. This is not a plan B like the dispensationalists teach. This is what God always wanted. It's not that God wanted Aaron to go to hell and he didn't want Josh to go to hell. No, God always wanted that the inheritance come through Jesus Christ. And this is something that he predestinated and that there be one people. God only has one people, ladies and gentlemen. There is not a bride. And I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people teaching this idea that God has a bride and Jesus has a bride. That, I'm telling you, that's heresy, folks. That's heresy and that stuff needs to be called out. That is heresy and, and I've got books that have that spelled out, that God has a bride and Jesus has a bride. And I, I, that is a horrible heresy. but verse 12 says, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye had believed, we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So we see that, that we, the Holy Spirit, that's like that earnest payment. God gave us the Holy Spirit to show, show us, I'm going to give you the rest of the inheritance too. And so we are guaranteed this inheritance, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. You can't lose the inheritance. You know Why? Because God has already given us earnest. And you know what happens whenever you give that earnest money? If you back out of the deal later, you lose the earnest money, don't you? Well, if God gave us the earnest of the Holy Spirit and then He backs on the deal, He loses the Holy Spirit, doesn't He? So that's not going to happen. God doesn't back out on His deals like that. So again, this is a strong verse for eternal security. Right here, showing that once God gave the Holy Spirit, He'll never take it away. Verse 18 says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So you're, to, so you're never going to convince me that this inheritance Paul's talking about is a different one than Peter was talking about. And that it's a different one that was being talked about in the book of Hebrews. That it's a different one that God told Paul to go tell people about that others already knew about. If you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have a tough time convincing me of that. So here's a question too. What is a saint? Right? What is a saint? The, the word saint means sacred, uh, physically pure, morally blameless, or religious, ceremonially consecrated, or most holy one thing, or saint. So here's something you need to understand about a saint. And this goes, this kind of goes along with what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. But uh, that, that title saint, alright, it sounds super good, doesn't it? Well, it's like who's morally pure? But understand. When you get saved, okay, we receive that imputed righteousness, don't we? And I'm going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm going to be talking about this Sunday. So we do, we are saints today. If you're saved today, you are a saint because we do have a righteous standing with Jesus Christ. And so we don't have the redemption of the body yet, but we have the promise of it. And therefore, when the Bible talks about an inheritance of the saints, because we have the uh, earnest of the holy spirit we can definitely claim sainthood you could say <laughs> you know you we can, we can definitely claim that because we have the promise of it and having the promise of something is as good as having it but colossians one twelve says giving thanks unto the father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. So yeah, we have sainthood but it's because our sins have been forgiven not because we didn't have any sins. In Catholic sainthood all it does is confuses everybody on what a saint is. And, And what a sad thing that is. Most of their saints that they have probably aren't even going to heaven. so Or in heaven. So Colossians 3:23 says, "And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as in the Lord, and not in men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons." So again, that inheritance be mentioned. So there, there absolutely is no doubt that the inheritance that we are waiting for as Christians is the inheritance that Abraham was looking for and the inheritance that God had prepared for the Jews. So they they could have had it. It was made for them. But you know what? They stumbled at that rock of offense, Jesus Christ. Instead of humbling themselves, instead of trusting in him, you know what they did? They killed him, and they lost the inheritance. And and the thing is, even after they killed him, they still didn't completely lose the inheritance because if they would have believed on him afterwards, I think he would have forgiven them. The fact that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know it not what they do while he's on the cross, tells me they weren't even reprobate yet. So they still could have had it if they would have just believed on him. But Luke twenty thirteen says, Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir, come. Let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. Now, here's the question. If you want to put a distinction between the inheritance that we have as Christians, the spiritual inheritance, and the inheritance for the Jews, okay? if you want to put a distinction there, then you've got to answer me this question. Then what would the Jews have thought Jesus was talking about here in this parable? Because this spiritual inheritance hadn't been talked about yet. That was something that got revealed, you know, after the death of Christ in the next dispensation. They're still under old a, during an old covenant promise during this time, during during those things. So when they're looking at Christ, saying, "This is the heir. Let us seize on his inheritance." What is this inheritance? It's the inheritance that's been throughout the entire Bible that God promised to Abraham, that God promised to the to the Jews. This is the inheritance. And that inheritance, we see Jesus Christ was the recipient of it, and yet it is ours too because not because we outdid the Jews. That's a straw man thing that people uh, like to bring up when we talk about replacement theology. You know, they think that the Gentile church accomplished something that the Jews weren't able to. No, we don't. Hey, we're no better than they. We're, we're not. We're not better than them. But Jesus is. And because we had faith in Christ, we obtained what they were not able to obtain through the law. We did not get what the Jews tried to get through the law. We got it through faith in Christ. And if they would have had faith in Christ, they would have received it just like us. So that is just, that is just a horrible straw man argument that people constantly bring up. And I don't know if it's just because they're lying through their teeth to cover for themselves or if they are just blatantly ignorant of what Replacement Theology actually teaches. But it says, When the husbands saw them, they reasoned among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy those husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. Now somebody's going to have to convince me that that's a different inheritance than what we've been talking about through the whole Bible. I believe it's one inheritance, folks. There's one There's one inheritance. Any difference anyone's going to try to show you from the inheritance of the Old and New Testament is because under the New Testament, God made things better. So yes, you're going to see some things in the Old Testament that somebody could go and say, well, this isn't exactly like we see in the New Testament. I know, but the New Testament teaches that God made it better. That's why there's a difference. Because God made it better. It's not that they are it's not that they are a different inheritance. No, it's the same inheritance, just new and improved, is what it is. It's a better inheritance. And Galatians 4 9 says, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. He observed days and months and times and years. He's getting on to these people that are wanting to go back to the Jewish way. Why would you want to get back involved in those, those weak and beggarly elements? Let me tell you something. God destroyed those things. He finished those things. And you know what? You know what a, a preacher is doing unknowingly, all right? They don't know they're doing this. This is what they're doing. Anytime a preacher gets up and he starts talking about the land and how it belongs to the Jews, you know what he's doing He is encouraging the Jews and them going back to the weak and beggarly elements. Something that God is finished with. God has made something so much better. And you know what they're doing? They're almost steering them away from Christ in doing that and pulling them back to the weak and beggarly elements. And folks, that that is a horrible thing to do. And yet, I mean, it's just helping damn these people's souls to hell. Yet, we're anti-Semitic. Isn't that interesting? Because we don't think anybody's special. Because I had a guy just this week on Twitter bring up his Jewishness, you know, to prove a point. Who cares? That means nothing. Ask them. That means absolutely nothing. The Bible is not different when, if it's being read by a white guy, a black guy, a Jewish guy or somebody that's mixed with a little bit of everything or tiger woods all right it doesn't matter it's the same thing and so the fact that you would even bring that up as though i you know i should give some special treatment or special recognition here it shows this guy doesn't understand the new testament yeah there's a lot he needs to learn about the new testament that's a ridiculous thing and so i hope this was a help kind of looking at it from another angle and you know what i'm thankful for the inheritance you know why cuz it's eternal and you know what, if we keep that in mind, we won't think so much about stuff here in this earth. We won't get so caught up in the things of this earth if we recognize, you know what, yeah, you know what, stuff is nice, but I'm only going to be able to enjoy it for so long. I got an eternal inheritance waiting for me. I think I'm going to focus on that. So that pray prayed here, Lord. I pray this message was a help. And Lord, we thank you for the promise of that inheritance, Lord, that uh, you gained for us. Lord, we've done absolutely nothing to earn it, but we're uh, we're thankful for it. We're excited about it. And I pray you'll help us to uh, live uh, with that inheritance in mind rather than the things of this earth. And I pray you'll bless everyone for it. In your name we pray. Amen.